Another philosophy which I run this company is that technology may change, the company may not survive, but a human will live. So even let's say 20 years later, uh, the company doesn't exist anymore. But uh, if there's things they learn from this company, hopefully helping them bring another next stop or benefit for their career. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting-edge technology, startup unicorns, and connections to the world. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from the Asianometry YouTube channel. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here today with Paul, founder of Cancer Free. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. This is Paul. Yeah, you have a really interesting uh, history. And also, before recording, we were talking about your background. Let's start with that. Like, what's your background and how did you end up in this, uh, in this situation sitting here in front of us? Oh, that's a very long story. So uh, I was not a very good student. I, when I was in my 20s, I would try to explore the different career, different discipline. I was studying the urban development at school, but it's not really get attention or interest to me. So I read a lot. I read a lot. The Business Week, I be with the Business Nest. And one day I read the Business Nest, I, I saw the, at that time, I think before the year 2000.com, that was so popular. There's so many heroes rising up for building the Web2, right now they call it, the internet industry, right? Internet building. I read a story from Linus Torvalds, very fascinating. I read a certification, a company from Red Hat, a story how they fight against IBM, the giant, Microsoft. And there's a training for the Red Hat certified engineer, which costs about 1500 US dollars at a time. And then the benefit is if you don't get it, you don't learn it, you can repeat it taking as, as many as you can. So I decided I got the money from my mom, my mom and I took a training. And I actually took three times. Each training is about 96 hours. So I took 300 hours of my time just on the class to get into know it. And I passed tests. I became Red Hat certified engineer. So I decided to switch my entire career to computer science. Of course, I took more course, a lot of courses from school as well. Then I changed my career to computer science. And I applied to a master's degree in the U.S. Then I got a good job in Morgan Stanley. And I stayed in Morgan Stanley for 13 and a half years. Wow. What did you do there? My entire career in Morgan was around in the data. We started with the business intelligence. And then there was a term called big data comes along. Then security becomes super important for the banking as well. So before I left, I was running the data engineer team and also the data security team. Basically, my team monitored the very sensitive data in and out of the Morgan Stanley. So you worked at Morgan Stanley for 13 years. Why'd you leave? Well, I wasn't really thinking about to living out of food because I was in layer very comfortable. And I usually say that when the weather gets too cold or too hot, when it's raining day or snowing day, I work from home. My team is global. I have a pin team in India, in UK. I just need to solve a problem whenever they call me within the 30 seconds. So as long as I have a computer, as internet access, it's good for me. But uh, there was a time in 2015, like my father got cancer and I wasn't really know what it was like mean. I saw that you get sick, you go to the hospital, the doctor will give you something, you should get better, right? That's my understanding at the time. But then I started flying back to Taiwan, accompany my father and I did my research. I realized that cancer was so different problem than every other problem I faced. As a software engineer, we did a lot of testing before we pushed to the production, right? I remember uh, my, when I first joined, my manager told me, if you worry about your patch or your software release, tomorrow we'll end up in Wall Street Journal because you didn't do a good job. That means you didn't do enough testing. But in reality, for cancer treatment years, even FDA approved a drug, you respond differently on every single patient. So it's kind of like testing in production. And then I said, okay, there will be a better way. When my father's oncologist, which in Taipei Medical University Hospital, told me what he was doing in 2018, I think that's what the way supposed to go. So in 2018, I started thinking about, okay, 
if I want to spend my more time with my father, or I have three children, and I want to bring them back to Taiwan to be with my father, so maybe my father will feel better uh, emotionally. What should I do? What do I do? So I decided to maybe I should take this technology out of school to see if we can do something about it. And then, how did you come to the idea behind what is cancer-free today? I'm not an originator. The idea has been around for. As far as I can find the or the reference, the research paper, but dating back to 1984. Yeah, you think about people are desperately worried about cancer. People are thinking about how to fight it. The first paper we've identified, the professor was from MD Anderson, which was very famous cancer research center. The idea is that say if we can instead of let the patient use their body for trial and error to try different treatment, let's say what a current standard treatment is, right? When the patient go to the doctors. The doctor will also say, "Okay, let's let's do the standard treatment because that's being approved. It's safe." The challenge is, there is no guarantee it will work, and the reality is, most of the time it doesn't work. So, it basically using the patient's body to try one treatment after another, and you have to wait at least six weeks to know whether this particular treatment is working or not. If it doesn't work, then we try another one. So, in that case, a lot of patients actually losing the battle to the cancer is not because there is not good enough drugs out there. It's maybe he doesn't have the time to try that one yet. And because of the side effect of everything else, and the body become weaker and weaker, because the drug treatment also kill the healthy cell as well. Eventually, the body give up. So we need a better tool to measure that. When people in 1984, they were already thinking about the idea. And then, even if you look at the trending for the last few years, that's the huge movements they are moving about how to we better replicate tumor outside the patient testing it. Now our original technology from Taipei Medical University, they just find out the solution. That's why we decided to moving forward. Can you describe this technology for us and how it works? So、uh, every cancer patient now target patient is actually patient already been diagnosed with cancer. All the every cancer patient inside their blood sample, they have a very tiny little cancer cell, what we call circulating tumor cell. Circulating tumor cell is the already known as a locus for cancer metastasis. Meaning, you see, sometimes you hear people say cancer is spreading. That means cancer already from one part move to another part. How do they do that? Using the blood. Using the those cell become the the theory about cancer spreading is called seed and soil. That cancer cell, circulating tumor cell, what we call a CTC, it is the seed within your blood. Once they floating through a patient's body, they find a good soil they want to grow, and they can grow. That become the second side of a tumor. So that tumor cell is very small and very rare. Has been identified as a non-locus for cancer metastasis, and people are thinking about using a replication. Our core technology is be able to harvest that cancer cell, and because they are so little to begin with, we are able to replicate it in the lab in the sufficient amount of time. Once we have enough tumor in the lab, we are going to use them to testing all the different treatment outside the patient in parallel. So patient don't have to use their body try one treatment wait for six weeks try another one wait for six weeks try another one. You can test on multiple treatment outside their body. You can think about this is like a Google Map for cancer cancer treatment. Now before the Google Map comes along, right at that time, how do you get from point A to point B? You using the map and you can think about should I take a bus? Should I take a flight? Should I take a taxi? Or there's no Uber at time, right? And everyone has a different availability about their money, the time, and the resource. You can choose the best transportation method for you. But today you have a ten different treatment area. You know how much they cost, but you don't know which one will respond to your body differently. You don't know. We actually provide a kind of map for the patient and their doctor. You will know this one may work for seventy percent. They will make a forty percent. There is no guarantee until we actually put into test. But you get some data, and people love data, right? You want to see the treatment actually can help you cure cancer before you taking it. You don't know right now. You just educate guess. So. 
has a little bit of kind of like testing in it, but it also has a therapeutic angle as well. So you're trying to mass replicate this tumor, right? Yeah, and we try to, essentially, we are just, let us say, we try to connect it out, making the right treatment to the right patient at the right time before it's too late. When you came across this idea, did you recognize that some of the challenges that might be lay ahead in implementing it? I wasn't. I was so naive at the time. I mean, I recognized the potential because coming back from the software background, we did so many tests before we pushed production. And this is essentially just a testing tool for the patient. So in the software trending, there are so many testing tools and they are already very popular and making to help a software engineer. Maybe we need a better tool. That's how I think, okay, we should do it. And I wasn't recognized the challenge, especially for running a company, but also from raising the money as well. At the very beginning, how we started, right? I saw that, okay, people told me a lot of biotech company has a little revenue for the very first few years. Okay, if I make a revenue, even as little, then it's proof of concept and people will buy an idea. It doesn't. I have a revenue before I even move back to Taiwan. You think about that, I, I was trying to sell this to see with people willing to pay for it. If there's a doctor willing to use, should recommend to a patient, if there's a patient willing to pay, that means there is a market. No matter how much I sell, it's a proof of concept. MOC, MVP, right? So I did that in the 2019. I have a revenue. I think it's not a lot. Let me think about probably 20,000 US dollars, maybe. But it's the money. And I see how patient, patient get better because of us. So can I bring this idea to the VC? They said, no. You have no paper. You have no patent. Okay, then we finish your patent. We finish your paper. We revenue grow second years. Still no one want to invest. Because they say, okay, um, the question is, you have revenue so little. There was a VC keep asking me, do you make uh, 300K revenue yet? Not yet? Okay, when you make it, then we talk. And then last year, we make more than that. Still not. Because you do, only in Taiwan, there's no global market. Then last year, we have a global market with a company outside of Taiwan. Still no. It's very difficult, very difficult. Because at the very beginning, they, they were asking, okay, what is your comparison with your company? They are very difficult. But most of the similar companies like us, they are still in the research. They are in the university. It's not even commercialized. If you cannot compare, they don't want it. I don't blame them. I mean, later I learned more about venture capital, and I know there's a challenge to do that. And I kind of take that as a choose. So the problem is now is how do I move him forward? So I'm very lucky to have my team. Everyone recognizes what we do is important when we do see the benefit from the patient. Kind of interesting, right? Because you started you know, relatively quickly and was the TMU project already commercialized or was it just like a research project? Like, how did you get it to commercialization? It was just a research project completely and uh, I decided to take it commercial. So the first thing I was working on is the first thing I did is I need to register a legal entity in Taiwan. But before that, because I work in Morgan Stanley, I cannot do anything not in Morgan Stanley unless you get approval. So in Morgan, we have this process called outside of business interest. So I have a register, say I'm doing a cancer research, which at time was. And I get approval, register entity, and then hire my first employee, which is right now is my co-founder and the chief operation officer, Amber. I met her because Taiwan has this BBSS called PTT. So we posted on the job posting on that and then she interviewed. And then the more I know that she lost her mother, I think it's lung cancer when she was very young. So she studied tumor biology in the college and in the, in the graduate school. So she has a patient. She was the one holding this project together before I actually quit my job. So even now, she is a very key person. So she actually helped us to negotiate entire contract, the technology transfer from the school outside the company. I think we finished the technology transfer contract in 2019 May. I moved back to Taiwan in August, then where I started running the company and I started building a team together. So before then... You're basically funding the company just out of your own salary? Yeah, my own saving account. Yeah. Wow, that's 
kind of crazy. It is. It is crazy. Every time I wasn't sort of so difficult, and I saw maybe two years, but then you getting challenging and challenging. Coffee hit, nobody expect. It's difficult to go to the hospital, and also the thing is that even we help a lot of patient, a lot of patient willing to do the testimony to share our idea with their friends, or even go to public talk about it. But due to the commercial regulation in Taiwan, you cannot really publicity commercial about this. So even they just talk about their own story. We write an article from patient's angle, patient approve. Sometimes even with doctor approval, the newspaper doesn't want to report it. So that's why it makes it very difficult to spread out the word about what we do. Um, you mentioned some of the issues with marketing, right? Or like maybe not marketing, but just getting the word out. How open were people to this sort of kind of interesting? Seems like an interesting new technology. Well, when you first talk to people, people was very interested, even from a doctor as well. Because a lot of them, they know the problem, they recognize the problem. Which today, the standard treatment, which you use in patients' body, you try it one by one. A lot of doctors they told me, "Oh, I was in the college. I think about this idea. I want to do it, but we try, it didn't work. Now you work. I want to see it. So it's not difficult to educate doctor interest to work with. I can tell you that we work with more than hundred doctor in Taiwan right now." Across sixty hospital, medical center, clinical. So as a startup with no money, you can get so many people work with. That certainly is not easy thing, but we did it. Right. And then patient is possible too. The challenge is during the COVID, we even have a patient from outside of Taiwan come to Taiwan. How they do it? Because you know Taiwan was locked down at that time. You come to Taiwan, you need a Taiwan passport, which they don't. You have to get a medical visa. They did. It. I don't know how they did it. They got a medical visa, just want to get our service all the way from Vietnam. So it does for definitely there are certain people is demanding outlet. The most challenging is even that we can find a lot of drugs and then some of them may work, some of them will not work. A lot of time it's still response not exactly the same no, like we predict outside the patient's body. But this is data. But we talk, explain this to the patient and doctor before we took the sample. People understand, but it gives them some idea. Some of them will feel less more comfort before they actually go through the treatment, right? So I think that's a challenge. That's why we continue to do a lot of study to research. I personally think that we are not able to, probably not able to, to fit for this approach to every type of cancer. But there are a few type of cancer, even just one type of cancer is benefit. I think that's great enough. What are some of the existing options for patients that kind of like this, or like when you guys started out? Well, so this is the area where they call the precision medicine.、Uh, most of the people talk about precision medicine in the last fifteen years. They focus on the genome sequencing using the human genome to identify the best treatment option. It's like they sample the tumor for like genetic weaknesses or something, right? It's still based on the big data statistics here, and then I would say that it creates very good benefit for the patient which has another patient sample, such as lung cancer and breast cancer. There's a lot of patient sample out there, therefore it's a big market. A lot of new drug actually focus on these two type of cancer. You talk lung cancer, there are multiple line of treatment to help a patient prolong life ten plus years. That's very good. But if you take a step back, look all the cancer in general. Most of cancer doesn't have a least luck like lung cancer, breast cancer. The first is the patient population not that many. So you're meaning to say that like the genetic connection with like its weakness is not that easily for other cancer. So in average, there was a research paper published two years ago or、uh, a couple years ago. I think less than thirty percent of patients are able to find an actionable treatment through the genetic test. So that's why if you look at the the US the oncology, the most recent trending they try to shifting from the precision medicine. To call functional precision medicine. So functional precision medicine means that they still need a genetic, but in addition, they want to look at some other things. 
combined together to helping the patient better tailor the solution to individual. Some of the treatment solutions like that, there's, there's a professor a company called Travera. They are the, the funding from the MIT and Harvard. What they do is they basically harvest the tumor like we do, but they don't use liquid biopsy. They're using the actual tumor sample. They put a special chip and they treat the, the tumor with the drugs like we do. But instead of make sure that cancer cell will die or live, they will measure the weight loss after one cancer cell die. So that's one of the solutions people are doing right now. But a lot of solutions is which people research already been done for years. They will get a tumor sample from the patient and try to put in the mouse and use mouse as an avatar to testing or treatment. So our idea actually is similar to like that. But instead of mouse, animal model was going to take too much time. So we're using our own specialized device to grow in the cancer cell instead of animal. So it's faster. Yeah, it feels like a mouse would take really long, but it feels like the MIT computer chip way, I guess, is a little too expensive, I guess. I don't know how much their retail price is. I would say they are not like very expensive based on my conversation with them. But the challenge, I think at the end of the day, is also about the commercial team business model, right? I understand that I actually build a very good lab in the U.S., which is a you know, operational lab in the United States. is very expensive. And so they cost them a lot of money before they actually be able to make any revenue. The mouse model certainly talk about time and traditionally takes six months. Even the fast way I heard probably two to three months. And also depends on how much money, how much mouse you're going to do, right? I think the most recent trending on the FDA, you try to reduce an animal testing for the drug development. So using the mouse probably is not a very humanity way if you're moving forward. So when you were creating this device, you built and developed this device in Taiwan, right? What were some of the other advantages as opposed to doing this development maybe in the United States? I think it's because of my very unique background, I come from the software engineer uh, part of the world. So yeah, people are saying, okay, your background is completely not related to it. But if you actually look closer at what we do for the last few years, I try to combine the, the hardware and software component into the entire process. This process, when they initially developed in the school, is very labor-intensive. And to be able to commercial, labor-intensive certainly not going to be the way you want to scale up. And if you want to make this standardized, you cannot give a training people. And then if you want to standardize, you need a software to supporting it. So we're actually building our own software and to support the entire process and make it more streamlined, more scalable. I wouldn't call it AI yet because that's we know what AI what really means. I would say it's just a computer vision. But then I think a year and a half ago, I started working with my friend, which they, or Taiwan has very strong the hardware development ecosystem. So they are to help me to perform in the hardware to make a hopefully we haven't really fully production yet we're still in the testing phase but hopefully with this both hardware and the software support we can reduce the cost to area a lot of people can afford it and then at that point it's become interesting and then we can massively collecting a lot of data there is certainly the difference between testing outside the body and inside the body but once you have enough data we can develop the algorithm to compensate the difference but that's probably something down the road in the future. What are some of the major things to consider? The differences between testing a cancer cell in like a box or in like a syringe as opposed to in the body? In the body or in the animals, the first one is there is no, we don't have a complete microenvironment. Like the patient, the human body or animal body have the immune system, complete full immune system. And since we are testing in the box, we don't have a complete full immune system. We don't have a blood vessel. So there's one drug called Avastin which is specialized in shrinking the blood vessel around the tumor. Once you're shrinking it, the tumor will not get enough nutrition, so you will not will stop growth. That's the philosophy behind it. But since we don't have a complete blood vessel, there are limitations about what drug we can test. So I would say a limitation is there, but there's about 70% of the drug we can test as well. And there's a lot of ways we can overcome those challenges, but that require more development.
Do you have a facility in Taiwan? Yes, we have a lab in Taiwan, and uh, recently we just set up our research lab in New York City. Oh, New York City. Yeah, it's a full research lab. It's a research lab, and the U.S. they have a lot of this co-working space, but for lab. So lab is sharing. If we pay the money, we can share. But of course, yes, the private lab we can rent it out. But I think with the current plan, the strategy for the next twelve months, I don't think we need a private lab yet. So share lab is good enough for us. What are some of the things that you have to consider as like a biotech startup or entering like another market like the United States? It's very heavily regulated, right? It's heavily regulated, and、uh, I think also you need to know what your strengths are, right? So I think a lot of people doing the biotech startup, they all have a biotech background. They have biology background, they have medical background. So a lot of people will choose the close to where they are, like say in San Jose area or in Boston area, which are very strong biotech ecosystem. Since I don't have that, I know my that's not my stronghold. So going there is not going to bring me or additional benefit. So I want to be able to cooperate the medical center directory. New York City has a very good medical center because the population is huge. So、uh, we actually have a very good conversation with all the medical center in Manhattan. So that's what I'll go to next. Tell to twenty four months, be able to produce the U.S. data to show the U.S. people, the U.S. investor. Yes, we can do it. It's not just on the paper; it's reality. And what are the regulations for that? In the U.S., there are two regulations to on this one. One, if your lab is certified as something called CLIA, then you commercialize it. You can sell the service, or you become FDA, become IVD. I don't intend to do both yet in U.S. CLIA lab will burn the money too fast. CLIA lab will cost about half million dollars. Operation cost is even more over time. So unless I can really commercialize it, I don't want to. Right now, it's focused on the research in U.S. here. FDA IVD device. When we have a drug development partner, yes, we may do it. But so far, we are not focused on. In US, the plan is very simple and easy. We just do our research. But、uh, where other countries, such as in Taiwan or in Japan or even in Hong Kong and in Singapore, we can sell the service where regulation is allowed. It. So that's all the field market we're actually exploring. So then, like the idea would then be to kind of build up more expertise, I guess. Like you're doing the research in the United States, and then kind of using that research to gain experience, so you can do this expansion overseas, right? A very different. So the research continue doing research is. In the medical or biotech field, research is a marketing material. So the paper you publish is useful to convince a doctor and a patient to say, "Okay, this is the way to do it." So research is no matter what, it has to continue to go on. This is probably no never ending about it. Just a recap of what we did. So yes, we take the blood sample to grow a cancer cell. Application right now is a solid tumor. It's not a liquid tumor, meaning the lymphoma or leukemia. So we focus on solid tumor. There are so many solid tumor out there already. So each of them can have a research. That's the end of the research. To give you an idea, right? Most people think about the、uh, solid tumor like lung cancer, liver cancer, breast cancer. In our statistic, we did more than one hundred statistics. I don't even know so many cancer out there. So the study is going to be never ending. This for marketing as well. Now the marketing material will also help us to bring attention to the pharma. Hopefully, we want to be their partner when they're doing the clinical trial, either on the patient selection or on a preclinical test. That is a fuel to supporting us moving forward. But、uh, unlike most of biotech, they will continue to burning the money to do the research. We already can provide the service to the patient, and now we'll bring the cash flow to the company. So that's very unique for our business model. So you're partnering with these pharma companies to help them run their trials, right? We are not there yet, but that's our goal. We do have a few study、uh, in Taiwan, a small company. Some of them from the research team from the school,、uh, university. Uh, we do have、uh, the public trading company working with us to testing their compound in Taiwan. What's like the cancer, the pharmaceutical industry in Taiwan? Like, how would you describe that? I would say that everybody is living very tough environment. 
because of all the economy and the funding situation, a lot of Taiwan pharma company, we all like in a similar situation, a lack of funding. But lucky is the cost of living also set apart is not high in Taiwan. So people salary are more affordable. So everybody has goes through a very tough time to do their research as well. How would you describe like hiring talents in this particular space? Hiring is also even challenging for us as well. We are a small startup. A lot of people don't even consider us as a good place to work or consider it because they, they, they want to go to a big pharma. So it's very difficult for hiring for our say for the last few years. Even last year, even we won the, we got a lot of media coverage. Still not easy to hire, I would say. And also one interesting thing is that unlike a lot of industry or a lot of discipline in Taiwan, I think the better people or people working in the lab, they are tend to be more stable if they stay in the one place. They don't like to change the company, change the environment. So I like to, I want to send my people outside the country, like say go to US, go to Japan. But I think a lot of bio major background people, unlike the software engineer, we, we all want to go out. <laughs> we want to work on the, the big company, but bio people, they want to be in Taiwan. They want to stay in Taiwan. So that's why it's very difficult to get people. How large is your company right now, your team? We are right now 18 people. But interestingly, even we don't have a lot of full-time people employee apply, we got a lot of intern apply. Just this past summer, we have more 700 applicants for our internship. And then our admission rate is less than half, actually. It takes seven people. And half of them, four out of seven, actually from the uh, student study in U.S. and Canada. So I was really surprised this year we have so many people in Pride. I want to spend a little time talking about internship, right? I come from the Morgan Stanley, which Morgan Stanley has a very well-established training program. And after I worked in there for years, I helped in the training program, recruiting the talent as well. So I appreciate that culture, but people give me the opportunity. That's why I got my career. And uh, our HR also used to work for Taiwan Google. So uh, she started Taiwan Google before Taiwan Google even have an office. So our HR know Google's culture. So we want to build a similar culture in Taiwan. So we have a training program the second year we start a company. We have a summer intern. We pay the salary and then we actually, not a very good salary. I would say the basic salary in Taiwan. Not a Morgan Stanley salary. Not a Morgan Stanley intern salary, certainly, right? <laughs> and then uh, we do, and we have a workshop every week. Well, I invited my guest speaker. You guys maybe can be our guest speaker next week, next year <laughs> to talk about you. How do you do? And then we have an intern demo day. And so the last few years, we've been running for a while. And then this year, we continue to do it. And then we have seven interns. Hopefully, if any audience is listening or if you have a children and you want to apply, you can apply next year. What's their daily day-to-day tasks like? Uh, we actually break in a team as a bio team, lab team, which you know, they're not going to see there to clean the lab. They're actually growing the cell, not a patient sample. The sale line. So they learn a lot from that as well. We have a team doing the marketing. We have a team doing the business development, which you actually need to do the co messenger. We have IT intern as well, running the writing software for us as well. So, like one of the things I did this year, I think very interesting is we probably never heard about any staff doing a carbon calculator, right? Carbon emission. We have that because I was in the math challenge in Switzerland, which they care about the global warming thing. So they teach us how to do a carbon calculator. So I asked my intern to take a look and learn it. So tell us what the scope one is, scope two, scope three. And she did a carbon calculator about a company and compare our carbon emission with the summer fisher. Right. Also, I went to an interesting project and they actually learned a lot. And my, comp- my team people learned a lot from that as well. So it's a multidisciplinary. And there are some projects they have to work together. So they're not only working on their own side of because I believe that I'm the cross domain guy. If I want to survive, uh, the company wants to survive in the next 10 years, cross-domain is necessary. It's kind of interesting because you don't see a lot of these internship programs in Taiwan. It's uh, kind of, a, I think, a missed opportunity. It's a really great way to find talent. Do you hire any of these, intend to, or hire these interns into full-time? So uh, we did a little bit different this year and last previous year. Previous year, the, the youngest intern we had for was high school student. And um, a lot of them even far away from graduate, so like, we cannot hire. 
So this year we might more focus on the almost graduate, like third years going to school, most of them, but not all of them. Yes, we like a lot of them. We'll extend it over, but it's still a year ahead of them, so we don't know yet. But we cannot pay the U.S. salary. A lot of them are from U.S., so that's a <laughs> challenge as well, right? But、uh, the goal is、uh, I want to be able to find a good talent through that. And also, they they accomplish a lot of great things. During the challenge, during the intern program, yes, be able to have a people be organized, what they do, the real project. You want to make sure their time here is meaningful, not just doing some errand. You want to make sure they can learn something, and they will appreciate the time you put in there. What's your hiring process for these interns? We have a people screaming first. And then we have a each hiring manager and different department to look at a resume to screening. We have defined certain criteria, and usually before they onboard, we already have the project we wanted to do. So hiring usually start in March, and the project need to be prepared in January and February. And then once we have the project defined, then we look at the resume we receive. By end of May, we will probably close our window and look at all the resume, screen the resume, make sure the people we want to have potentially necessary basic understanding about what the project we want to achieve. I don't expect they have an old skill we need it. That's not possible. But the next step is actually the interview. The interview will actually need to make sure they are willing to learn or willing to open their mind to actually try different things.、Uh, we meet a lot of students, especially students from Taiwan. They only want to do one thing and one thing only. Those are candidates and not what we are looking for. Even you are the lab or IT. If you write a software, your application is in a different area. You need to be able to spend time with other people to learn what's that. Same thing as lab, right? The lab you need to do a presentation to tell people your scientific idea. You need to learn how to present the idea, right? You need to do marketing idea. So those kind of the characteristics we are looking for when we hire the intern. Then also another criteria is can they commit the time? I will define the intern program start with usually June twenty something to August twenty something. They has a fixed day. If some people say, "Ah,、oh, I cannot come in because I need to go to vacation for my friends," no, you have to be commit that day. Of course, during the time you have to you need to get sick, you take vacation. That's fine, but beginning and the end that's important. We have a demo day. Also, you need after demo day you need to hang over your project to your project manager. Are there any other criteria that you're looking for when you doing these interviews, like willingness, time, or how about like proficiency in certain skills? Not exactly, actually. Of course, if you are intern, IT intern, you certainly need to know certain software. But I usually don't ask kind of question. I ask a very basic question. I try to get a, a idea how they think, how they approach the problem, how to solve the problem. Were they using the tool or not? Be honest that today there are so many tools out there. Think about ChatGPT. We don't need a hardcore engineer to develop the Linux kernel. We need people be able to utilize the resource to integrate the solution together. That is what the criteria I'm looking for. Uh, same thing as the other intern, like a BD intern or the marketing intern. Marketing intern, we don't necessarily need a bio background. But if he doesn't want to learn the bio background, he doesn't know what we are talking about. That's a challenge. BD intern will probably need a little bit bio background. And also, we usually will give them the two course. We recommend to take it before they onboard. One is for Python. One is for cancer metastasis from Coursera. Both course from Coursera. It's free. Like this year, I was very surprised. Some intern not just finished; they even paid the money to get certificate. So I mean, I recommend to them because even you are a marketing intern, you are not going to write a Python. But at some point, you are going to get into, to understand how to do a data analysis about your ad on the internet, right? That requires some data scientists to work, and learning a little Python will help you think. What other aspects of kind of the company culture or people culture that you've been focusing on? A lot of biotech companies are age are relatively young. We are actually seventy percent female. I try to hire more male, but it's difficult. And then age wise, about thirty. I'm not the oldest one in the company, but close. So yeah, you mentioned earlier that you hired someone from worked at Google from HR. Was there any practices from Google that you tried to transplant into Cancer? I think with, with the, the company organization is ten to flat. 
to embrace the openness of the culture, no matter from Google or Morgan Stanley. I encourage people to be able to talk to me directly. That's also the challenge for the people in Taiwan. Most of the time, the people in Taiwan will think about when their manager asks them to do something, they tend to follow the orders rule. But uh, I tend to ask people to challenge me because uh, I'm not the expert for this domain. The reason we can be where we are today is because I listen to the people. So I think that makes a lot of students not aware uh, when they do an interview, they are not comfortable. They never think about, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm not trying to micromanage the people. I will try to give the praise to let them try. Another philosophy which I run this company is that technology may change. The company may not survive, but a human will live. So even let's say 20 years later, uh, the company doesn't exist anymore. But uh, if there's things they learn from this company, hopefully helping them bring another next step or benefit for their career. How did you learn to delegate your work? In Morgan Stanley, we have to, to delegate it. I mean, I spend a lot of time doing the resource allocation, actually. In the meeting and resource allocation. Yeah, it's, it's just too many things. And not just delegation, you also have to show the leadership, right? The challenge in Morgan Stanley, I remember after I started working for two or three years, and as a manager, how do I get promoted? And one of my managers, she told me that the title or leadership is not people give to you. You have to be seen as a leader before they can promote you. And then that's actually true. As a patient, as an Asian, you want to get promoted in the... Jewish, India, and the company, the people you surround it, you have to be speak up. You have to promote the idea what you think is the right thing to do. And also carry out the, the task. And also influence the people, not in your team, but it's necessary to make a project success. That's the most challenging part. I think you all can agree with. But that's a skill set which we don't teach at school. And that's a skill set what we want to do in the company. Most of the thing in the company is a project base. We have one project after another project. Even we have a, a, this morning, I was uh, I was having a meeting before I come here, talking about uh, having my presentation. I need to prepare a presentation. And some of the research I asked my nurse in our company because she is an oncologist. She she knows about oncology, so I actually should find some statistics number to give to another person to make a presentation for me. But I'm not just asking just to do that. I give them the background, why I'm doing this. The reason we need to do the presentation because this is what kind of event. That's why it's important. We'll bring awareness for our work. Going forward, what's the strategic plan you have for cancer-free in the near future? I think that for the next 12 to 24 months, it's super important for us in two different angles. Three different. Number one, clinical study. We are going to start our free clinical study in the United States, hopefully next year. There are a few types of tumor which has no cure today, but I think we have early data proof that we can actually help in the patient. I think that's very super important. Number two is automation. Build automation machine, make it useful, can help us to, to uh, scale our expanding to other countries, in such as Japan and maybe Singapore, and also U.S. as well. Number three is try to get more people to aware of what we do in marketing. The year before uh, last year, we helped about less than 300 patients per year. But this year, by end of August, we already reached last 300. But every year, there are 100,000 people in Taiwan have a cancer. We have a huge, huge health side we can grow. So I want to make more people to aware this new tool can help you. Not for everyone, because there's still some cost involved to it. And also, we don't recommend with stage one or patient. But this is affordable to you, and you need a bit of data to help you making the choice for the next treatment. We are here to help you. So make an increased market awareness is very key for us in Taiwan. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I think we all have had cancer touch us in our lives, and I think it's a worthy cause to go after. 